Welcome to the Impact Nations podcast. My name is Tim. I am your host. And as you can probably see or hear, uh, something a little different for you guys this week. Dad and I are actually traveling. We're up in Ontario, Canada, and we are just in a few moments on our way to uh, do a conference for the next few days. And so that means we can't be in the studio doing our regular shtick. But mom happens to be home and she is in the studio. So she's going to be doing some teaching for you guys today. And I think you're really going to be blessed by that. Uh, While I've got you, I wanted to update you on one thing real quick. I've been getting a lot of phone calls in the last several weeks uh, since the situation in Afghanistan. People asking, hey, is the Impact Nations in Afghanistan? Is there anything we can do for people in Afghanistan? My response throughout that time has been, uh, hey, we don't actually have contacts in Afghanistan. We don't have a presence in Afghanistan. Uh, The only opportunity we're going to have is with refugees if we happen to come across them. Well, uh, that day has come. Actually, I got a call from Randeep last week. Uh, saying that he had found some refugees in Delhi who had fled Afghanistan, uh, and they are in a very, very serious situation. We've got 270 families that are living in absolute squalor uh, and are desperate. They do not have means. They do not have uh, the ability to work because they don't have any knowledge of the local language. Uh, they are thankful to be out of Afghanistan. They said, hey, if we were still there, we'd be dead. Uh, so we're thankful to be in India but they have nothing. So we are gonna go and do what we can. So this weekend, actually, we've already got Randeep going. You guys have generously been giving to our feeding program. And so we're gonna take some of those funds. We've already sent them to India. They're gonna purchase some food in Delhi and go and feed these families this coming weekend. Now, our hope is that that's just the beginning. Uh, When they're there, they're gonna collect some footage, uh, get some stories and a better understanding of how Impact Nations can help them. Uh, And so we're gonna be reporting back to you guys in the next week or two and let you know how you can help. Uh, And I know the Impact Nations family, you guys are amazing, and we're gonna be able to step up and really provide some help in a profound way. So please stay tuned for that. Be praying for the team as they go and investigate. Just pray for revelation on exactly how we can best minister to these families. Uh, In the meantime, uh, let's hear from mom back in the studio. Hi, everyone. It's a real privilege to be here today. I, uh, it's my first experience in the Impact Nations podcast studio. And so um, it's just a blessing. And uh, I'm looking forward to sharing with you today. Um, the message that the Lord gave me today, we've titled Compelled by Christ. It's what he, uh, when I asked him yesterday what he would like me to share, this is what he, the phrase that he gave me. It's a way that I love to interact with the Lord, to ask Him, what is it you're saying today or for this year? So at the start of 2021, when I asked God for a word for for me for the year, He simply said, the fruit of the Spirit. And so, of course, my scripture was Galatians 5, 22 to 26, which says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. And so it seemed to me that for this year, God was talking to me about having a Christ-like character, both for myself, but also for those that I minister to and with. And if you know me, you know that uh, one of the more frequent ministries uh, that I get involved in is uh, doing inner healing or healing life's hurts. 
And I love to do this in the local church with uh, friends and, of course, overseas with those that we are rescuing. And this involves sanctification. It involves yielding to God. It involves being transformed by the Spirit so that we truly reflect the image of Jesus and live the abundant life that he died for. Unfortunately, in the last few years, maybe especially since the pandemic, I feel like too much of what I've seen in the body of Christ has lacked this character of integrity. We've been in a long season of stress, of uncertainty, and of fear. It has affected our well-being, our ability to do jobs and ministry, our relationships with family and co-workers. The darkness and strife of the world around us, sadly, seems to be permeating even the body of Christ. It seems to me that we too easily take up sides in discussions and arguments, pitting ourselves against others and allowing disagreements to rob the Lord of the glory we're called to ascribe to Him. It's made me really sad as I've not seen the difference between the body of Christ and the world. When I asked the Lord for a word for today, I heard Him say, The love of Christ compels me. This comes from 2 Corinthians 5, verse, verses 14 and 15. For Christ's love compels us, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. The word compel means to urge, to force, to drive, especially to a course of action. It can involve being overpowered or subdued. Some examples of the use of the word compel in Scripture are familiar to us. In Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus used the word in the context of godly character in verse 41. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. It's more than asking this compelling. In Acts 2.22, Paul also describes being compelled by the Spirit. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Paul knew there was potential danger in what the Spirit was compelling him to do, and to be fruit, to be faithful, he had to take the risk. It's like he, he didn't even consider it a different choice. He was compelled. He had to go. In the parable in Luke 14, 23, Jesus said, Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. So this compelling goes beyond asking or suggesting. It even goes beyond urging or insisting. There's a sense of force, a lack of option to choose otherwise. The passage in 2 Corinthians 5 starts with, Christ's love compels us. What does Paul say that the love of Christ compels us to do? I find the New Living Translation of this verse helpful. Verse 14, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have died, we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone, so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. This version uses the word control rather than compel. Paul is asserting that because we have been, we have received the new life that Jesus died for, we must no longer live for ourselves. I feel really challenged in this. I know I'm not the same person I was when I received Christ 44 years ago, 
But have I truly continued to allow the Lord to sanctify and transform me? Are there ways that I still choose to be more concerned about living for myself, my ideas, my preferences, than living for Christ? And I feel in this last season for myself, very challenged in this, because it's been easy to just kind of relax back into lockdowns and lack of interaction. But Paul goes on in this passage to challenge us even more. 2 Corinthians 5.17 This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So Paul is reminding us that the reason Christ died was to bring salvation to us and through us that we are responsible to carry this message of reconciliation, that we speak for Christ. I find this very sobering. As I look at the church in North America today, I confess I do not think we are representing Christ well, often. Rather than being messengers of reconciliation, I hear criticism and judgment and division. And I believe God is calling us up into a higher level of character and integrity. We're called to examine our hearts, our motives, and our actions. In the previous chapters, Paul had been laying out the Jesus way for us, a life of humility, of suffering, of difficulty, but with abiding hope and perseverance. These descriptions have been a defense of his ministry that was criticized not just for not just telling people what they wanted to hear. If you read through Paul's writing, He holds a a firm line to the Jesus way. Romans 12 verse 18 reminds us, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Very challenging. I love how this reads in the message. It says, Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. So I want to refer back to that phrase, discover beauty in everyone. God made every single one of us in his image. We're made in his image, and therefore his beauty is in each and every person, no matter what their circumstance, no matter what their behavior. We need to try and find that beauty within each person. In Acts 24, Paul was testifying before Felix. And he said in verse 16, So I always, so I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. So I have to ask myself, is my conscience clear before Christ? Is the love of Christ compelling us to live the life of Christ, to demonstrate his kingdom? 
Perhaps, perhaps one of the best-known scriptures is John three sixteen to 17. We all are familiar with it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. You know, I've, I've heard this scripture quoted a lot. I've even seen it on signs at sporting events. Sometimes people write it out. Often they just put John 3.16 up. And I wonder what the world thinks when they see that sign. Do they ever actually go and look up what does that scripture say? And if they know what it says, how do they feel about it? Do they feel that they have an opportunity to this eternal life? Do they feel that that the lack of condemnation or actually when they interact with Christians, do they feel judged and condemned? That's my fear, that they, that we're not communicating to the world the love of Christ. Christ is the one we follow. He was always motivated by and demonstrated love. He taught us through parables and examples what love looks like. We're all familiar with the story of the unmerciful servant who thought he had received mercy and forgiveness of his debt from his master. Sorry, who though he had received mercy and forgiveness of his debt from his master, he turned around and treated another servant totally differently. In Matthew 18, verses 32 to 35, uh, toward the end of that story in the message it reads, The king summoned the man and said, You evil servant, I forgave your entire debt when you begged me for mercy. Shouldn't you be compelled to be merciful to your fellow servant who asked for mercy? And so I want us to reflect on that. We have been given full forgiveness. We've received mercy. And we need to be compelled to be merciful to others. And in this current climate, too often, I fear we are not. The love of Christ is to compel us to be Christ-like. The opposite of this love is discord. In Psalm 55, David, as he often does, asks God to deal with his enemies. But listen how he describes it. In verse 9, he says, God, confuse them until they quarrel with themselves. Destroy them with their own violent strife and slander. They have divided the city with their discord. Though they patrol the walls night and day against invaders, the real danger is within the city, the misery and strife in the hearts of its people. So what can we, as followers of Christ, do to confront the discord, the misery, and the strife that the enemy is throwing, not just at the world, but within the church? It's interesting that David says he asks God to confuse them. Confuse them. I think many in this day and age are confused. There's so many different voices out there. He says, confuse them until they quarrel with themselves. Church, we are not to quarrel with each other. We're not to quarrel within our homes, in our community. Yes, we can speak up. We're encouraged to do that. It always has to come from that motivation of love, of showing the love of Christ. And so we can have our opinions, but we need to be careful how we express them. 
David says the real danger is within the city, the misery and strife in the hearts of its people. When we conclude today, I'm going to pray about that because I do not want there to be misery and strife in the heart of Jesus' people. So how do we confront the discord, the misery, the strife that the enemy is throwing? To start with, we are called to walk in humility. Proverbs 13 verse 10 says, By pride comes nothing but strife, but with the well-advised is wisdom. It says it a little differently in the Passion Translation. Wisdom opens your heart to receive wise counsel, but pride closes your ears to advice and gives birth only to quarrels and strife. Society is currently so divided and so vocal on so many issues that most voices are trying to shout down the others, declaring, I'm right and you are wrong. But we need to take a different path. We need to walk in humility. Humility allows us to listen, to give respect, even if we don't agree with the other person's point of view. One of the sad things that we've experienced in this season is people choosing to defriend us, to cut us off, because we're not in agreement with them. That makes me really sad. I don't think Jesus ever did that. We can speak our own truth, we can speak our opinions, we can comment on other people's opinions, but we don't need to um, cut them down. We don't need to disrespect them. We're not called to stir up strife. In Matthew 5, verse 9, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. I think we have many opportunities in these days to be peacemakers, to speak a word of peace to the people around us. We've been called to die to ourselves. It doesn't mean we don't have opinions and preferences, but these must submit to the character of Christ within us. We must always be compelled by love. Galatians 2.20 fits in very well with this idea of being compelled by love and dying to ourselves. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. When I was a younger Christian and I read that scripture and the one about being a new creature in Christ or a new creation, I really struggled because I felt like there were so many things about me that were still the old me. But the good news is that our transformation, our sanctification is an ongoing process. And we can invite God to continue that process in us every single day. Jesus made it very clear in John 15, verses 12 to 13. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lays down his life for his friends. And that, of course, is what Jesus was about to do. That laying down of his life is the unifying factor in the church. And it is applied to all the hearts that are made new by the Spirit of God. N.T. Wright said, the gospel is not just a mechanism for getting people saved. 
It is the announcement of a love that has changed the world, a love that therefore takes the people who find themselves loved like this and sends them off to live and work in a totally new way. Isn't that a challenge? It's the announcement of a love that changed the world. But it's, it needs to change us, and it needs us to work and live in a totally new way. The love of Christ, then, is not an add-on to our busy and our individualized lives. In fact, I think it actually wrecks those things, if we allow it. The result of the gospel's work in our hearts doesn't always make sense to those who haven't yet experienced it. Certainly, the relig religious observing Jesus and Paul's lives and the things they did and said considered them to be quite crazy at times. And T. Wright also said, the logic of love outweighs all other logic known to the human race. That sense of a love which changes everything and gives people the power to face things and do things they otherwise wouldn't have done is what Paul is talking about regarding being compelled by the love of Christ. The logic of love is an interesting expression. And he says, right, says that it outweighs all other logic known to the human race. This is a love that can change everything. This is a love that empowers. This is a love that strengthens. This is a love that allows us to uh, persevere. We must experience this love and we must give it away. In Revelation 2, the church at Ephesus was being recognized for all that they were doing, but they were also criticized in verse 4. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. I don't think anybody ever intends to leave love. I think it can come with the onslaught against us. and Perhaps we become dull or fearful or anxious, and it erodes away at that first love. But I believe God is giving us the opportunity to return to our first love, to the love of Jesus that saved us. How do we resist the spirit of the world that is operating in and insisting on individual rights, on being right, on tearing down those who disagree with our point of view? What's the antidote to that? I think the answer is to spend time with the one who loves you. You can't give away what you haven't received. When asked in Matthew 22, Jesus made it really clear what our mission was. In verse 37, he said, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love is what matters. We must believe it, we must receive it, and we must give it away. There's so much clamor in the world, but we have to silence it and focus instead on the one who loves us and in whom and whom we love. One of the best places to start is with worship. But even in this, I've noticed something. Maybe you have as well. I feel like 
In some ways, worship has lost its way during the challenges of the last couple of years. Rather than songs of adoration and glorifying God's majesty and celebrating his victory, it feels like many contemporary songs are focused on me, my struggles, my needs. I describe it as hope-so songs rather than songs of faith. It's like we're telling God how badly we need him, but not in a way that glorifies him, but rather is kind of whiny. And so we need to choose to search out worship that truly honors and glorifies God. Let's soak in his presence and declare his goodness. Of course we have difficulties, but allow him to come and minister to you as you lift his name high. Love him with all your heart, soul, and mind. And while you're doing that, he pours in his never-failing love. This allows you to dare to believe that his love for you is real, that you truly can love and value who he made you to be. And from there, you can love your neighbor as yourself. With some friends, I spent some time studying this scripture in a book this year because we recognize that (laughs) some of us love our neighbors as ourselves, but we don't love ourselves very well. And that is not reflecting what Jesus was saying. And so we do need to learn to receive Jesus' love and to value who he made us to be and to stop comparing ourselves to others and trying to feel better about ourselves by pushing others down or trying to feel better about ourselves by taking the sidelines and and not pushing ourselves forward to be able to do the things that God called us to do. So I want to encourage you to do that, to sit in his presence, to worship him, to hear who he says you are. In addition to spending time in worship in the presence of Christ, we also need to know his word. Are we clear on what his love compels us to do? Spend time reading the Gospels. Learn more about who Jesus was, what he said, how he said it. How did it affect the people around him? Years and years ago, I struggled a lot um, with comparing myself because I thought as a woman I was less than. And unfortunately, my early days in the church had reinforced that. And God really challenged me, and I began to study the scriptures. And I was fascinated to realize that so many of Jesus' stories are inter- his interactions with women. And it, it brought healing to my soul to realize that he valued women, that he saw them, that he wanted to lift them up. And that helped to bring me the security and the confidence that I need, needed to be able to love others as he loves me. And then we need to read his words so we really understand what does it mean to be compelled by love and what is it he's calling us to do. When we contemplate the majesty of God, it empowers us to walk in humility, to recognize our human failings, to nail our sinful nature to the cross, to have grace for ourselves and extend that grace to others. From this place of humility and dependence, we can cultivate that fruit of the Spirit that I started with. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what I want the world around us to see. Because we've nailed our passions and desires of our sinful nature to the cross. Because we're living by the Spirit. We're following the Spirit. 
We're letting him lead in every part of our lives. We're choosing the place of humility. It's repeated in John 13, 34, and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love, have love for one another. I was remembering a story of something that happened years ago in Vishkapatnam, India. There was a doctor from the hospital who had been assigned to work in one of our medical clinics just for a day. He was a Hindu, and he seemed disinterested in the reason for our mission. We were surprised when at the end of the day he asked if he could join us the next day, which, of course, we said yes. As it turned out, he continued to work with us for all six clinics. On the last day after we were finished our ministry and we were conducting our debrief, this man came to our accommodations. My battery is dying. <laughs> I might have to get my computer out. He came to our accommodations accompanied by his two daughters, and he asked to speak with us. His comments went something like this. On the first day, I couldn't believe that you all had only just met each other. And there it goes. I'll keep telling the story while I get my computer out. So, sorry about that. My iPad's getting old. So he said, I, I couldn't believe that you didn't know each other because I saw how well you worked together. Uh, he said, clearly, um, you loved one another, you had a common purpose, and um, you, you, he said, it really was the love, he said at first. I noticed your love for one another, but then I noticed your love for our people and how in everything you did, you were communicating love. And so he came to find us with his daughters in tow, and he said, I want that love. How do I get that love? Can you give me that love? And so it was wonderful um, to be able to um, pray with him and have him receive Christ. So to go back to the, um, oh no, there was one other story I was going to tell you. So some a uh, couple of years ago, not too long ago in uh, Nakuru, Kenya, which is where I usually am at this time of year. It feels very strange not to be in Kenya in October. Um, but there was a, a, a young woman who we had gone out on the streets and invited the prostituted women to come into a safe space, and we were going to give them some gifts. We were willing to pray for them and to share with them that God had a different plan for them and that we would help facilitate that. And... Uh, there was one young woman, she was quite young, who put up her hand. I always invite them to tell us their stories and ask us questions. And this young woman um, said to me, what if you used to follow God, but you ran away from him? And the Lord gave me immediately uh, an idea. And so what I did was I had one of the team come and stand face-to-face -face with someone else. And I said, this is God and this is you, and you're facing each other. I said, you turned, and I turned the person around, and you tried to run away from God, but God won't let you run away. He's actually been with you the whole time. 
He's, he's with you. He's never left you. All you have to do is turn around and he's ready to embrace you. That's the love that compels us. And this beautiful young woman, she, um, she just wept and wept and gave her life to the Lord again, which was awesome. Um, so I wanted to go back to the Second uh, Corinthians passage. Just find it here. One of the challenges that I personally feel I've experienced during isolation brought on by the pandemic was the lack of opportunity to minister. Like I said, I'm normally in Kenya at this time of year. And the couple of years previous to the pandemic, I was traveling a lot and doing a lot of ministry, which I loved. And I've done my best through the pandemic to stay connected um, with our partners internationally, but also with our journey of compassion participants um, but what I found for myself is that with the isolation can come complacency. And it felt like the love and the wisdom were not being drawn out of me the way they normally are on the front lines. And when that happens, I found kind of a lethargy or a sleepiness or a dullness was taking over. And um, I'm, I'm really, I was aware of it and I was praying about it and trying to stir up my spirit but i admit that now that we're now that we're able to minister again in church and on the streets i do feel a fresh awakening and if that's been your experience i really encourage you to challenge yourself to wake up ephesians 5 verse 8 for you were once in darkness but now you are light in the lord live as children of light for the fruit of light consists of all in all goodness righteousness and truth and find out what pleases the Lord. Verse 14 says, Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very, very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. We need to wake ourselves up. We need to help one another to wake up. We need to encourage and challenge one another to be our, the best versions of ourselves. In that 2 Corinthians past, uh, passage, Paul calls us ambassadors for Christ and ministers of reconciliation. God has reconciled him to us to himself through Jesus and made us messengers of reconciliation to the world. Through us is made manifest God's desire to reclaim, to restore, to redeem, to renew all that is broken in the world that God so loves. The world is suffering for lack of love. Christ loves the world because he loves every man and woman in it, and his grace enwraps all because his grace hovers over each one. Let us allow the love of Christ to compel us to keep putting the message of hope in front of them. When we see the love of God displayed in Jesus, we're compelled to reshape our understanding of love itself. Love is no longer about self-fulfillment or personal pleasure. It is instead our response to God's love for us. As 1 John 4.19 reminds us, we love because he first loved us. The Father's love in giving Jesus enables us to love God and compels us to love one another. 
as Jesus himself commands, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. John 13.34 If you find yourself wondering how to faithfully respond to God's love for you, look no further than your love and care for others. And I think we need to be creative about that in these days. It may not look the same as it once did. I know for some of you, you may still be in lockdown and not able to join together in fellowship. But there's different ways that you can connect with people over the phone or drive-by or various different um, efforts to let people know that you think of them, that you see them, that you care about them. We can determine to live for and become more and more like Jesus. Ask the Spirit to pour this love into your hearts and send us to send you and us to love others. So I want to um, pray for us. I want to go back to where we started. The fruit of the Spirit and the compel being compelled to love. So let's pray into that. Father, thank you for this word that you're reminding us to take that place of humility and dependence on you. Lord, we want your fruit in our lives. We want to be known for your love. We want to bring joy and peace. Help us with patience, Lord, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Help us to be gentle. And Lord, give us self-control. In these days when so many are not exhibiting self-control, let us be different than the people around us. Let us be different than the world. Let your light shine in the darkness. Because we have put our sinful nature on the cross. We live by the Spirit. We want to follow the Spirit's leading in our lives. Help us, Lord, to take that place of humility, of checking in with you over and over. Father, do I need a course correction? Lord, is there something else you need to sanctify in me today? Come and transform me into your likeness. Let me be the fragrance of Christ to the people around me. Lord, I ask that your love would compel us, that we don't live for ourselves, but we live for you. We live to lift you up, to glorify you, to champion you. Lord, we don't know where this love will take us. We don't know what the next season holds. Lord, we're not where we thought we would be even a few months ago, but we trust you. Our eyes are fixed on you. We belong to you. You've made us new people. The old is gone and a new life has come. And Lord, help us to remember that we are your ambassadors, that you are making your appeal through us, that we represent you, that we speak for you when we call people back to God, when we demonstrate your love. Lord, help us to remember to say, may I pray for you. Help us to remember to share testimonies of all that you've been doing. Father, we thank you for our partners all around the world that have been on the front lines during this pandemic. And Lord, they're not only feeding people, they're not only medically helping people, but they are leading people to Christ. They are birthing house churches so that people can come and fellowship together and encourage one another. Lord, we speak blessing over them today. And Lord, I speak a blessing over all of our listeners. Father, that you would challenge us to challenge ourselves to be more Christ-like in all that we do. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.